Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. England defence in the mess, John Lawrence going for the high ball, trying to look it up for help, Dallas! Goal! And they've scored! Why <laughs> help We're a small country and you know, we're up against it, but let's not just go along for the sing song every now and again. Mass games of keepy uppy in the middle of Paris, force feeding pints down the necks of passing moped driving Frenchmen. <laughs> yes, it happened. Enacting, uh, a mock, enacting a mock fist fight in the background of a live national television broadcast. Yes, it can only be the travelling army of Republic of Ireland fans going along for that sing-song Roy Keane mentioned. They're raring to go for tonight's Euro 2016 opener against Sweden. You're welcome to the Irish Times Set and Captain's Euros podcast. Hello there, Owen. Hi, Murph. How's it going? Oh, I'm excited. The shenanigans yeah. of the Irish fans. I know, yeah. You know? I mean, what Keane actually says is, let's not just go along for the sing-song. That doesn't mean we have to stop the sing-song. <laughs> it just means that if at the end we could play some football as well, that would be great. So uh, everyone is, uh, thus far... Following the orders of uh, Corporal Keane, so let's just hope. Uh, let's just hope the the players can do something. Do today. you uh, get the reference to the mock fist fight? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you want to tell? I did see this. Uh, yeah. So I mean, this, this is the highlights, the Orgy's highlight show. Um, yeah, there's an interview uh, taking place. I th- you know, I think it's David Myler's dad being interviewed. Uh, it is John be Myler, by yeah, Daryl Bryan. Yeah. By Daryl Bryan. Uh, there are some Irish I- fans in, Paris, in the background. Is, yeah. um, you know, just they're supposed to be listening intently, uh, but a couple of lads go off script ever so slightly. One guy punches his friend. Ah, it's a mock punch. Oh, and there's no, there's no real meat behind it. But down, down he goes like, uh, <laughs> like Joe Frazier. Uh, Dad goes Frazier. Uh, yeah, so he 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 uh, hits hits the turf in, in no uncertain terms. I mean, listen, it's all just a bit of fun. But also, you know, obviously, Daryl Bryan's going to be really annoyed, and he has every right to be annoyed, because he's just trying to do his job. But, uh, you know, it's just two guys high on life. Well, no, in fairness, I only caught the show towards the end, and they went back to play that clip. They they decided, okay, everyone's already seen it. This is already on the internet. We might as well play the, this idiotic thing that happened earlier on in the show. And it's not like there are, we're not talking about hundreds of fans behind. It's a, it's a small area. There's, there's six, a few, there's six, six fans, fans two of them engaged in this mock yeah. Fight. One of them goes down. But as Kenny Cunningham said on the show, you know, you got you really got to act that out better. If you're punching a guy, you're rarely smiling when you're punching. Yeah. You know, it's it's. I mean, you shouldn't go around punching anyone in the first place. But if you're going to act it out, you want to at least look like <laughs> not be breaking your ass. And what laughing. would actually be really funny? See, I mean, all the guys there, they all seem to be the one group of friends. Mm-hmm. So I mean, the the other friends were like, ah, oh, yeah, that's 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 pretty funny there what he's done. But what would have really put them laughing? You're like rolling in the odds if your man had actually punched your man in the face. Now, see that that would have been a that would have been a great, uh, a great fun. You know, I'm just delighted for Kenny Cunningham. We all remember the mm, simmering tension between himself and Eamon Dunphy during the last World Cup. I, it didn't look like Kenny Cunningham was enjoying a huge amount of that broadcast. Now he's on a more light-hearted late-night show with Stephen Hunt. Just Josh and just having good times, just watching Irish fans play punch each other. And he, oh, he looks so. He honestly made about twenty gags in the ten minutes that I watched. It was I was like, who? Is, this is a new Kenny Cunningham. No, and you and you and welcome Kenny Cunningham. It's not, so. it's not the new Kenny, Kenny Cunningham. That's just 
He's that's always Kenny. been in there. It's, it's hard like, to make those always, gags when you've got yeah. Brady on one side and Dunphy on the yeah, other. Exactly. That's, I mean, it's yeah. He's just been set free. That's oh, all. it's finally here, Murph. It's finally here. Let's head over to Paris. Hi, Ken. How's the form? Very good. Très bien. Très bien, Owen. Et vous, ça va? Ça va bien? Ça va bien. Ça va bien, Ken. That's it, basically. That's all we got. Je voudrais acheter deux billets. You're in Paris now, yeah? I am on Rive Gauche. That means left bank. And it means left bank, Owen, because imagine you're on a boat going down the river with the flow. Which bank is on your left? That's the one I'm on. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's very nice. I, I just got here yesterday, yesterday morning. I got an early train up from Marseille. God, I love those trains. Um, TGV. That's the French oh, for right. TGV, by the way. <laughs> it, goes from, it goes from Marseille to Paris in like three hours, 20 minutes. It's insane. That's the same as I the mean, Dublin Galway trade. <laughs> it's it a, actually a is further. Um, it's it's just fantastic. Um, but where was I? I? I sound like an absolute idiot here talking about <laughs> my wide-eyed amazement at the fact that they've got well, fast no one, trains in another country. I'd say you just, uh, I'd say you're just glad to be getting out of Marseille. To be honest with you, we'll talk about Ireland in a little while, and we'll get to Emmett Malone has been covering the team throughout. But of course, uh, people would have been reading your article today, Ken, and your tweets uh, with interest over the last few days. Uh, not a moment too soon, I would say, your departure from Marseille. I really enjoyed Marseille. And, I mean, it was, it was obviously a bit better when it wasn't scary uh, with loads of gas and police and sort of unpredictable stuff happening all the time. Uh, that does put you on edge a little bit. It's a really nice city. Um, I mean, I saw there was some kind of people talking about, oh, you know, it's ridiculous. Imagine having a, a game like this in a city like Marseille, a, a city that's a powder keg at night. Well, I was there before you know, all the sort of extraneous elements arrived and it wasn't powder cake. It was just a very nice town. Obviously then once you got all everybody involved with the English, uh, the police, the local guys, and especially the Russians, uh, things began to get a little bit more, uh, confused, chaotic and, uh, and dangerous. Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, I- I suppose, first of all, tell us about what happened on Friday. We probably need your timeline of the weekend because Friday was, we we last spoke to you on that day and there'd been, uh, you know, there'd been incidents on the Thursday night. You were making the point, this is probably only going to go one way uh, once the Russian fans arrive and the rest of the English fans arrive and also the the locals really getting uh, getting involved in things. What happened on Friday evening in the bar you were at? So um, I could see that when I, I, I was out of the stadium on Friday, like Roy Hodgson's press conference and all that kind of stuff. So I came back into town and I came up at the metro station at the Old Port because my apartment is just near there. And I could see this big mass of English fans kind of gathered there in that corner, uh, you know, singing songs, you know, arms out, arms out wide, you know. And I thought, oh, right. So they here, here they are. They've, they've arrived. You know, these this is these guys are going to get in probably a bit of trouble later on because the police aren't going to put up with this for too much longer. It's not like they're really doing anything active. It's just passively, they're just sort of attracting, they're just a trouble magnet. You know what I mean? So I thought, okay, well, uh, I got, I went back to the house, left in my computer, went looking, because it was quite close now to the time of kickoff for the France game. So I went looking for somewhere to watch it, and I saw, you know, just this Havana cafe there's a still just there under the tv so i said oh, you know look, that looks all right to me so i sitting there you know it was just a, a totally standard situation like you like you'd find anywhere people sitting loads of people out uh, sitting having a drink watching this game you know a big football match there was loads of england fans there there was loads of but you know it wasn't like uh, a center of english singing you know what i mean it was just uh, people who happened to be english fans sitting and watching the game. There was, you know, French people there doing the same thing. Totally normal situation. Um, and at some point in the second half, it was still nil-nil. There was just out of absolutely nothing, you know, 
tur- I turned around. I was like kind of at the front of the outdoor area, sort of, you know, the bar is inside, you know, the outside, a, a similarly sized area, you know, full of tables and chairs. This is just all being knocked over, tables and chairs flying everywhere, bottles are flying everywhere, you can hear bottles smashing, you can see them flying through the air, you can see chairs flying through the air. <laughs> I, it was Jonathan Wilson, I think, the other day, so I, I met him at the game, the Turkey Crouch game, he said, and we were looking at these images of, of more trouble, I think, between the Germany Ukraine fans in a photograph, and he said, you know, the the chair, the sort of patio chair flying through the air through a cloud of tear gas is really becoming the defining image <laughs> of this tournament. Um, you could see this, and you know, people get knocked over, and, and all this jostling to the right. So I thought, oh my God, what about my face? And uh, kind of cowered, cringed back against the bar, covering covering myself, trying hopefully not to get hit by a bottle. And then this was all over very quickly. But it was like, what, what happened there? The police are then arriving. And uh, you can see there was a guy who was cut. He was hit behind the air by a bottle. It was really nasty, you know, blood everywhere. Um, and, and people really angry, you know, oh, you know, we've just been attacked. You know, where are the police? Why don't, why don't they help us? You know what I mean? And this was, it was clearly... English fans who'd just been attacked by people who weren't English fans. You know what I mean? And these were not these were not even English fans who were looking for trouble. You know what I mean? It was like, this is just what happens to you if you are English fans wearing English shirts, sitting watching game. You know what I mean? That that was also a part of what was going on. I'm not saying that there weren't plenty of English fans causing trouble and indeed involved in violence, but this was also a part of what was happening, you know? It was kind of a, it's a kind of complex situation. As well as what I'm saying, Owen, is the truth, as ever, lay somewhere in between. Yeah. Um, uh, well, that was what I was thinking when I was going to bed on Friday, because I thought, well, you know. And so just to be clear, those, uh, were those French, could you actually see who was doing the attacking? Uh, was, there's an assumption that they would have been French, local, local They were dudes. French guys, yeah. They came down, they came down the alley. Like, the alleyway there was, 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 literally my apartment was up there around the corner. Right. Like it was, it was 15 meters up there around the corner. They came down, smashed into the bar, threw a lot of bottles and, and chairs, and then just ran straight back up the alley. Um, you know, it was... All, talk, all, all in the space the of 30-odd thir- seconds. Mm-hmm. All, all in the space of a few seconds. Like, this, this is quick yeah, and this is like 20, this is 20 seconds. Like a, like a, a real quick sort of hit-and-run type situation. So... That was like, oh right, okay. This is so, so, so. Suddenly, everyone is kind of standing there. The bar is like, we're clearing, clearing up all the stuff, clearing up all the tables, shutting down the the front. Um, England fans are getting angry because you know they feel they're getting picked on. Uh, Olivier Giroud scored at some point, um, but uh, then the, then France gave away a penalty, and that was a that was a big moment with the England fans uh, celebrating that. Because at that time, there whatever sympathies they may have had, oh, it would be great to see the host nation do well. Had changed, um, had changed by that point. Um, they celebrated that penalty, but there was more trouble. So essentially, it was this this bar where I had been watching it had been closed down. So I went down the street a little bit further to see if I could actually watch the rest of this game because I was kind of interested in you know France game. Um, but then there was more trouble happening further down the port. You could see like people running. You could see people running across the street, sort of kicking. You know, someone falls on the ground. The worst thing you can do is fall on the ground in this type of situation because people just—it's an invitation to get kicked. You could see this kind of stuff. You could see there's riot police absolutely everywhere, and you can smell like the tear gas just drifting around. Uh, further up at the old port, then you see police firing tear gas up these up these sort of side streets off the main off the main square. Uh, you can see people like shadows moving through the tear gas, and you have no idea who they are. What, who's up there? Are they England fans? Are they, you know, who, who is this? It's so it's it's like this massively confused, chaotic situation. It's really difficult to know what's going on at any at any one time. You know, it's just it was just a bizarre sort of situation. The one thing I will say is that you can see the attraction in it for the people who are involved in it How's because that? because it's a massive adrenaline rush. Simply just to be, to be simply just to be there to be switch, switched on to the extent that you're looking around, trying to make sure that you don't get caught up in anything. Having to, it's it's a kind of a heightened state of awareness of alertness, which I suppose mm-hmm. makes you feel more alive. I'm not I'm not recommending people go out and do this, but I can see maybe the the attraction. And I mean, for the for the guys who are actually involved in it, it must be. It's so exciting, you know. Imagine uh, running down. You know, you got the police on one hand, you got all these uh, fans on the other hand. It's uh, not it's that a bit it, of a, yeah. it's a bit of a thrill. Mm, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how thrilling it is when they 
start kicking each other in the head and putting each other in hospital and in critical conditions. I don't know how much. Oh yeah, well there, there. That's the that's that's what makes it thrilling. The stakes are a little higher than they are in the usual run of civilian events. So match day, what happened? It, it seems like the Russian supporters are. Well, they, I mean, there's video after video of the Russian supporters. Not a, it doesn't seem like a massive amount. It doesn't seem like thousands of them, but a, a small group I'd say, of quite I'd organized. Say no more than, I'd say no more than 200. Like, I mean, there was, there was, there was you know, 10,000 Russian supporters, but the ones who were the, the problematic ones are a small group, and you really wouldn't want to come across, you know, these kind of lads. I mean, you've seen, you've seen them on in all these videos. These are, like, really genuinely quite scary people and i'd say the difference that you can see between what they did and what the english fans were doing because i don't want to make it sound as though no no england fan lifted a finger to another hand it was all just banter you know that's clearly not the case there was obviously england fans also involved in violence but their approach what was happening with them was different because what they were doing essentially was gathering in a big mass and singing songs now you didn't see the russians doing this anywhere in town, um, what you did see was that was that those groups of Russian hooligans, proper hooligans, are going around, moving around the town, essentially in a group, looking for, you know, targets that they can pick off, and that was not happening at all with the English fans. You know, there there were no English people going around. As you know, I was walking around the town a lot. There were no English people, you know, scary groups of English fans going around looking for people. There was huge groups of English fans massed together at particular points, surrounded by police and with all of the ingredients that you need for trouble. But they, they, they didn't have, you know, roving squads of, you know, hard men going around looking to, well, whatever it was these Russians were doing. I mean, you can see they were kicking on heads, stamping on heads and robbing these flags these worthless flags. It's as, it's as though, you know, the, there's this um, idea that, you know, if there's flag, if, if football supporters have a flag, then it's like, it's like an ultra group and this is their standard. You know what I mean? But you see these England flags, there's loads of them. Every tiny little, every little group of England fans, just a bunch of like normal, normal guys, normal friends or whatever. They've got like a, a little flag that they make up, AFC Whites. They hang it up in the stadium. They're, it's not like the, the divisional insignia of, of, a, of a big hooligan group. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that seems to be how the Russians understood it, judging by the pride they took in taking these flags and capturing them, capturing them off, off people who were terrified and ran away, of course, abandoning them. Of course, you know, you're not going to stay behind it. I mean, I wondered what would happen if, if Russia ends up playing Ireland and all those, all those flags that the Ireland fans are getting, you know, all those very similar flags Ireland fans seem to have been getting made up and putting up on social media, you know, John Delaney, miracles will happen, and oh, Jack Grealish, home alone, and all that kind of stuff. And the Russians, these, these, these <laughs> Russian fans, seeing all that and going, these guys have a lot of firms, <laughs> you know. Well, it's time, it's time they felt the claws of the Russian bear, you know what I mean? Yeah, what I'm looking it at, this, be, this, yeah, there's one in front of me here, Walter's White. John John Walters mocked up as Walter White from Breaking Bad. Ken, that would confuse the Russians if they took that. Uh, and uh, this must be their firm's leader. Yeah, he looks a bit like it. I'm going to tell you, John Walters mocked up as Walter White is a scary individual. Uh, going by this flag. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, you know, it's it's. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I don't know. It's I don't know what, what you can make of it. I mean, that's just how it was from my point of view. You know, someone else could have been there and just been at a different place at a different time randomly and seen different things randomly and, and the whole thing would seem different from them you know it's it's just it's just kind of a huge chaotic situation there's tens of thousands of people nobody knows what's going on I mean, the police don't know what's going on no and i want to ask about are, the police and the and the organizational part of it because they're getting obviously a lot of abuse for the lack of segregation we haven't even talked about the russians uh, storming the england fans at the stadium with at the game yeah. yeah with very little resistance yeah if you're a steward there and you're getting punched by a russian hooligan i don't know how much of a there were no police in that stand where yeah. were the police you know what i mean what is, what are the stewards supposed to do there's absolutely nothing they can do there yeah. If those guys want to go, want to want to come through, They're if I'm a steward, there's through. no way. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't stop them. I'm not even going to try. I can't stop them. If there was police there, they might have been able to stop. I mean, I I, I keep talking about Johnson Wilson, and stuff, though he's not here. I'm sorry about that. But he was saying, in in practice, he thinks it's quite a good idea not to have police or looming around a stand like that because oftentimes, if they are there, they just end up beating up the fans. Yeah. So in it kind of. 
practically speaking, it's it's not the worst idea. But in a situation like that, I think they would have been much better off actually having some police there just because the potential for trouble, I think, was greater than it usually is. Rebecca Vardy, Jamie Vardy's wife, uh, people might have followed her tweets at the time. She's been talking about it since. She said, in the vicinity uh, where we were, there were plenty of England fans singing. There was no problem. All of a sudden, there's this big explosion of tear gas, people running and screaming. So, anyway, it was suggesting that they, they, they follow these photographers who were trying to take them in, um, you know, a certain entrance. Anyway, when we got back to where we'd come from at the stadium, they'd shut all the gates, which is where the main access points had been for all the fans coming up from the town. People were shaking the gates, trying to climb over them. Women were screaming. Kids had climbed up trees. It was like a scene from a movie. If you turn back the other way, you're running into tear gas. If you went towards the gates, people were pushing and climbing all over you to try to get out. She was saying that people were trying to, you know, they were falling over onto concrete, cutting their faces, blood everywhere. It, it's, it's incredible. That, that's even a way, well, I mean, it's all connected to the violence that was happening, but just to, to I suppose I'm piggybacking on your point, that everyone has a different perspective, anyone who was at that game, and that seems like uh, it's a pretty tough scene that Jamie Vardy's wife had to go through. Yeah, I mean, like I was in the stadium already at that stage, so I wouldn't have seen, uh, I didn't see what was happening outside um, I went in towards the end of the Wales game, so that would still have been, mm. you know, what, an hour and a half before the kickoff. And at that stage, the situation at the stadium didn't seem too worrisome, um, although you never knew, you know, how, how, how things were going to develop. I mean, there were, there were moments when the situation in the old port seemed fine, and half an hour later, there was, you know, tear gas everywhere. But, you know, it's, um, I mean, for the police... Like, you know, put yourself in the position of the police for a moment. What's been happening here over the last few months is this uh, fear that this tournament is going to be attacked in, you know, by, by terrorists. This is what the, a lot of the preparation, <clears throat> excuse me, has focused on. And you can imagine what's done, what that's done to the attitude of the police, how they're primed to see kind of unfolding uh, troublesome situations. The only thing that they're worried about is restoring order. I mean, that's what they're there to do. So that's the only thing they care about. They don't care, uh, you know, about sort of trampling on individual, uh, you know, rights or, or doing things which which maybe people maybe wouldn't exactly be by the book. You know, using tear gas to hurt people, that sort of stuff. Um, they don't really care if they think it, if they think this is what they need to do to to restore order. They're going to do it. You know, you don't. You, they don't need to be. They don't need any second invitation. Sure, but hurting think, people to, to like, get involved. Yeah, but apparently hurting people towards closed exits, closed entrances, doesn't sound like the mm. most joined up thinking between the police and the people at the stadium. No, it's 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 obviously <laughs> it's it's not. But you know, who's who's sort of directing this? Who's got the you know what you might say the helicopter view of the situation? Nobody. I mean, if you're in a helicopter, you wouldn't have a clue what was going on. You know, I, mean, I don't mean to be facetious. I'm just saying, like, mm. it's it's the situation is is complicated, and I don't really see how you know any one person knows it can be aware of everything that's happening at the same uh, at, at you know at the right time. It's just it's an unusual situation here. You know, you could you, you could argue that the organisation has been bad. I mean, one point is that why, with all this trouble happening in the town, do all the owners of the bars persist in selling bottled beer to everyone? Why is it? Yeah, you have as many bottles of beer. Why are they doing that? It's crazy. Like, what? Else, why? Why? What's the problem with just plastic glasses? In fairness, you see plenty of plastic glasses, but you see loads and loads of broken bottles. Why? Why is this? Why have they not arranged for that not to be possible? I mean, I see the French government, you know, is apparently banning the alcohol from the stadiums and fan zones. It's not going to make any difference. The only difference that makes is that even fewer people go to, well, I say even fewer people, I'm sure plenty of people go to the fan zones. But the fan zone is a minor, is, is a tiny detail in the scheme of things. You know, there's a, there was a fan zone in Marseille. I passed by it um, on one of the early days I was there. I didn't bother going down to it because I know what they're like. It's a waste of time. But all the trouble was happening in town. Anyone who wanted to drink could get as much drink as they like. And the, the fan zone could never exist and it wouldn't make any difference to that. So, you know, unless they, they're going to, you know, impose a blanket ban on, on alcohol sales, which I suppose is again within their power. I think they're gonna they're gonna face this situation. But maybe, you know, stopping people stopping people selling fans loads and loads of glass bottles might be uh, might be a good first step.
All right, that's enough of that, Ken. We've had enough of our time taken up with the shocking scenes in Marseille. Let's talk about... What? what? Sorry, Murphy. No, it's just my Euros fever has actually... I'm showing signs of rehabilitation. <laughs> oh, I, no. I, but I don't want I don't want to be re- rehabilitated, Owen. I want to be back in the centre of my illness. <laughs> well, luckily for you, Murph, we can talk Ireland-Sweden now. Uh, we'll get to Emmett Malone in a minute, Ken. But I just want to... I want to talk a little bit about the demeanour that we've seen so far from the Irish management team and from the captain obviously it was Martin O'Neill yesterday doing a press conference with Robbie Keane Roy Keane seemed in chipper form the day before Ro- Robbie and Martin O'Neill seemed very steely there was nothing even approaching a joke which is not unusual in Robbie's case but certainly Martin normally throws in a few little gags here and there he's obviously um, he's obviously not going down that route right now at one stage Robbie was asked yesterday by a journalist Robbie you know you've been around for you've been one of the top strikers for so many years now one of these questions where he's praised a lot but then is given the kicker and he was asked do you still have goals in those boots and Robbie uh, in almost Zlatan like mode uh, went on to talk about how great he is and how yes of course he's got goals in those boots <laughs> did he really I didn't see that yeah well he didn't say I've got goals in my boots <laughs> just say the line Robbie <laughs> yeah exactly he said uh, no well, the, the headline yeah. changed from Robbie uh, claims he has goals in his boots to Robbie refuses to deny that he has goals in his <laughs> boots yeah he essentially said look I've been scoring goals since I was 17 I've been I know people say I talk about my age but uh, that there's other players in tournament the same age as me it's just that they were, didn't start playing international football as early as I did I've always scored goals I've done it consistently I still do it consistently yes I will do it if I get the chance Would you say he was remaining tight-lipped on the girls' boots issue? <laughs> um, Source is close I, to him yeah yeah. I, I, I actually did an interview with Robbie Keane on for Cara magazine oh, yeah. which is out at the moment I guess I can talk about it now uh, Secret Project <laughs> uh, <laughs> You did I mean, what, I, you know, Ken? <laughs> it, it was, uh, it, this was this was a couple of months ago actually and uh, it was around the time of the, the friendlies and or the matches at the end towards the end of March, and he was already having a bit of a bit of an issue with his knee. I remember asking him at one point, and that, oh, you know, you've you've got a very, you've always had a very good injury record. <laughs> you know, he's like, oh yeah, you know, I've I've always been very flexible. Uh, these are quotes which don't appear in the interview because I could see that in fact he <laughs> appeared to have the most serious injury of his career, which was threatening to rule him out of the Euros entirely, so it would have seemed a little wrong to be talking about his extraordinary resilience that he's displayed. Um, But I was struck by the fact that in that interview, he was very uh, accepting, in a way that I hadn't seen before, of his diminished status. I mean, obviously, he's still the captain, still, in, in a lot of ways, the senior player in the squad, but maybe not playing anymore, maybe not starting. I mean, he said something like, well, I'm at a stage of my career where this, you know, just happens. And, uh, you know, he, he was basically saying, I'm not there just to be a cheerleader or whatever, but I am, you know, I, if I'm on the bench, I understand why that is. This is, you know, this is something I can, I can deal with. And I guess, uh, I mean, I'm, I'd be amazed if he wasn't on the bench to start tomorrow night. Um, the question, I suppose, is whether he's capable of coming on and, and doing something. The one good thing about that, I mean, I don't think Robbie Keane, I, I'm trying to think, because he hasn't really been a substitute much at any stage in his yeah. career for whatever team he's been playing for. I mean, you know, w- with the odd exceptions of times when he was at Liverpool just before he left and he was at Tottenham just before he left. You know what I mean? Uh, at least just before he left. He hasn't, he, he hasn't been a kind of career substitute. It's hard to know how he does in those situations. But I, I do think that whereas... Um, Four years ago, or even one and a half years ago, I mean, I remember, for instance, the Scotland game, uh, or what the Scotland away game. If Robbie Keane was left out of the team or on the bench, he would he would kick off, not not necessarily throw stuff around the dressing room, but he would let people know that he wasn't happy about it. Whereas now, I think he's kind of more reconciled to the fact that that's where he that's where he's at now, and the best that he can kind of hope for. Well, then the best that he can hope for is all the other strikers get injured. He comes in and, you know, scores several goals as Ireland win the Euros. That's probably the best he can hope for. But, you know, um, realistically speaking, you know, if everyone stays fit, he's probably going to be a substitute for our games. Uh, maybe he's going to be able to come on and score 
And I think he's kind of focused on that. Okay, well, let's see if I can do that and, and kind of trying to see the positive aspects of that as opposed to moaning about the fact that he's not starting. Yeah, if he comes on and gets one goal. I think we'll take one Robbie Keane goal at this championships. We'd all be happy with that. Emmett Malone has been in Paris for the duration of the build-up to this. Emmett, June 13th has finally arrived. How are your confidence levels? Yeah, I'm never, I'm never really kind of uh, confident about anything to do with Ireland, uh, and I, I find it it served me well. But uh, I, yeah, I'm hopeful about this campaign. I mean, clearly last time there was so much cause for pessimism. Uh, this time, various things have changed. You know, under O'Neill, the team has started to look capable of winning against good teams on its day, and the format has changed. And you know, it's it's certainly not as anything like as hopeless as last time. I think um, the the Swedes, you know, are, are beatable. Nobody believes the Belgians are the standout team in the world. You know, despite the world ranking and uh, and this Italian side is not a great Italian side. So, you know, uh, all of those things provide the basis for some hope. But, you know, the reality is, I'd say we're fourth seeds going into this into this group and um, uh, progressing to the next round will still be quite an achievement. At least we have 11 players, Emmett, as opposed to just one, um, according to the, the build-up to this one from Sweden's point of view. You were at the press conference. It was a coach and captain speaking yesterday, although nobody seemed too interested in talking to coach. Yeah, it was slightly, uh, slightly embarrassing. Uh, Eric Cameron was o- asked an opening question, and then, uh, and then just you know, li- like the rest of us, really was an onlooker as uh, as as Latan was asked one question after another. And yeah, this UEFA official sort of essentially asking people to be polite and ask uh, ask the um, manager uh, the odd the odd question. It was it was like the sort of thing you get in uh, in school when uh, some teacher is asking to spread things around a little bit. Um, yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt in what the what 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 the situation is there um Zlatan kind of seems to, to rule the roost in 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 various ways um Hamron you know takes some credit for having kind of gotten the best out of him over the last few years his stats for the national team have soared over the last four years over over his previous period um but the reality is that it's still Zlatan that's that's doing the delivering and um and and uh well, he doesn't he doesn't share too much of the credit around Emma, one question that didn't come up, which I was surprised about, I don't, don't think it came up anyway, was this notion of Martin O'Neill in punditry for the 2006 World Cup, I think it was, calling Zlatan something along the lines of the most overrated player on the planet. This was brought up to O'Neill at his press conference and he gave it fairly short shrift and answered it quite well, said, look, you can say something 10 years ago, it doesn't mean it's still relevant 10 years later, players can improve. But I would have thought this is exactly the kind of thing that would be brought up to Zlatan to see if he could get some sort of a rise out of him. Yeah, we got a like a rise out of him. It's not very difficult to get a rise out of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. <laughs> yeah. On a couple of occasions, uh, like he was asked, was uh, was he uh, you know going to uh, was he disappointed that he hadn't you know dominated tournaments in the past when he'd played for Sweden? And um, and uh, in, in the answer that followed, he must have said he he dominated everywhere he goes. You know, or he dominates everywhere he goes about you know six times in in different ways. Um, yeah, it, I I've no doubt it would have got a rise, but it, no, it wasn't brought up. But but you know you, you know you don't have to uh, you don't have to scratch very hard at the surface for uh, for Zadan to become irritated that uh, his his all round greatness is being questioned in some way. What kind of tone does he strike him? Like I mean, for instance, I saw Roy Hodgson the other day uh, down in Marseille, and he had such a characteristic moment with his first line in the press conference, which was you know uh, the question was something like, "Do you think England can do as proud, Roy?" And he kind of looked back and said, "I certainly hope so." <laughs> uh, <laughs> how does how does that turn? <laughs> How does that sound frame these sort of these issues? So what kind of what kind of tone does he does he strike when he's talking about Sweden's chances? Well, it's it's very realistic. I, I mean, for funny thing, for all the bluster and uh, and you know, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm genuinely not sure how uh, how how much, if any, of this is tongue in cheek. You know, when when you know Valan talks about himself in the third person, and when he arrives at you know uh, training camps on different jets to everybody else. I mean, it just you know, uh, it's it's a bit bananas. But uh, you do get the sense that some of it must be you know slightly tongue in cheek. But when he talks about the national team, he's, he's quite realistic. He uh, he was asked yesterday, is it the case that he you know simply can't um, demand as much of the group of players that uh, Sweden have as he does at club level, where he plays with some of the best players in the world, and, and, he, and he acknowledged that he that he does. And Hamron has kind of argued that by giving him the captaincy, he forced him to take more responsibility for the players around uh, around him. 
Uh, Zlatan talks about having kind of grown into that role of of, of uh, responsibility without really kind of crediting anybody for for coaxing it out of him. But he does talk about kind of you know the collective constantly. He talks about the the, the you know the fact that um that uh, you know d- despite his own status as a you kind of standout star, there's no, there's not really much that he can do individually um to haul this team you know to success. It has to be a collective effort, and that by playing for the team and by the team playing for him. Uh, they have some chance of progressing, but you know he he doesn't make any extraordinary claims. He he um, he expressed satisfaction that Sweden have reached the championship for, uh, again, and I think after last time when they disappointed, not quite on the scale that we did, but you know perhaps in other ways uh, more so because they blew leads in games that that they that they might have won. Um, they feel that they have a point to prove here, and, and and he more than most. I mean, there's a lot of speculation that he'll retire from international football after the tournament. So he more than most has has that point to prove. How do we stop him? Emmett Liam Brady suggests not that he doesn't think this is necessarily what we should do, but he thinks that we Wes Hoolan might end up getting sacrificed for somebody like Stephen Quinn to come into the team and man marks that time. Yeah, I mean that's that's a possibility. I, I, I you know, it's it, it's going to be interesting to see how O'Neill strikes that balance between still needing to win the game and uh, and countering Slatan. And you can certainly do something like that, take Hulan out of the team. But the the difficulty with that is that that Hulan has been consistently um, the player that kind of opens up opponents for us most, and um, and that's quite a big sacrifice to make. Um, I'm not quite sure that 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 changing anyone else has quite that same effect. H- uh, Hendrik is another possibility because really he looked very badly off the pace in Cork and you could bring in somebody like Quinn for him and uh, and, and and kind of give him that sort of responsibility for Zlatan. Um, it, it, look, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, part of it's going to depend on, on precisely what role uh, Ibrahimovic himself plays and that's going to come down to how confident the Swedes are that they can dominate us in terms of possession and you know if he drops deep uh, to act as a link between midfield and uh, attack then you know it may come down largely to Whelan if he plays further up it, it may be to whichever of the centre halves that uh, O'Neill chooses to pick beside uh, play beside O'Shea but um, uh, yes you know look changing formation more fundamentally and handing the uh, t- somebody the task of, of doing very little else but, but trying to keep him out of the game is one way of coping it but, you know, we found out in, in past occasions many times that, you know, you, you make that sort of sacrifice and it still really doesn't work. Um, so that and against Stephen Quinn, well, obviously it's worth trying, but I know who my money would be on. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the Ireland team. I mean, th- there are a couple of... Uh, most of the team, I guess, is is, is fairly sure of their place if they're fit. I'm guessing players like Shane Long, uh, John Walters, Glenn Whelan, James McCarthy, you know, Robbie Brady, John O'Shea, Seamus Coleman... Probably Darren Randolph are all going to start this game, but there are a couple of questions. Yeah. We've 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 mentioned Hulahan. There's an issue as to whether he'll go with Jeff Hendrick uh, or maybe maybe even James McLean. Yeah. And there's also an issue at the at the back uh, uh, where Duffy seems to have come on very strong. Maybe talk to us a little bit about that situation first. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Duffy was outstanding in the friendlies leading up to this. Now, you know, there's a couple of arguments here. One is that he was simply um, playing his way into the squad ahead of Paul McShane, who, you know, did his best to play his way out of it um, in, in the last friendly uh, that he played in. Um, so, uh, look, I, I mean, Duffy really did do his outstandingly well. And he, and he brings a couple of t- things that um, uh, that other players don't do. Primarily a, a goal threat at the other end at set pieces. And set pieces have become extraordinarily important to this team. Our, our stats for conversion, you know, for scoring from corners and free kicks are are, are off the scale by, by the standards of most of the other participants in this tournament um, so Duffy would be a, 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 a big help on that front but his inexperience showed against uh, the Dutch and you know um, he, he certainly played a part in contributing to to their goal uh, although O'Neill kind of gave him a bit of a free pass on it afterwards um, but he, he so he's a possibility but he's never really played at, at the top level uh, in England or, or anywhere else and and so there has to be an element of risk attached to him you know he'd certainly bring something to the team that the others don't. Uh, Kyo is, you know, isn't bad in the air defensively, but really doesn't do it quite quite so much at the other end. Uh, uh, but so, but Kyo and Clark have played more in the team over the course of the qualifying campaign. Clark has been preferred to Kyo uh, towards the end of the campaign when the pair of them were available. Uh, but Kyo has done nothing wrong. I mean, we do have this recurring theme, and it applies to Randolph as well. These are guys who, you know, if, if they're either not playing at their clubs in England or they're playing at a slightly lower level, uh, or they're playing, you know, in Clark's place 
play somewhat erratically for their clubs in 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 England at a high level. But um, but you know the, the 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 you know the mantra is that they've never done anything wrong for Ireland, and and you know and for the most part it's very true. So um, so O'Neill has has choices to make. I mean, Clark seems the the, the safe one. You know, he's um, he has that experience. Um, he has played a lot of Premier League football at this stage. He ha- has you know he's probably quicker than Kyo. Uh, but both of those did well in the playoffs, so so you know either of them look kind of logical choices. But O'Neill doesn't go that way all the time. He's, he he tends to surprise us in all, almost every game in some way. And from that point of view, there's a, there's a decent case to be made for Duffy. But you know it's one of those things that if it goes wrong, with hindsight, will look uh, 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 you know like a bit of a leap. What sort of case is there to be made for James McLean to start this game, Emmett? I think for the well, the case I would make is for the neutral, if you want to grab the neutral's attention from the start of this game, you unleash James McLean's somewhat uncontrolled frenzy on this fixture. <laughs> I mean, that is that is about it. But but how much does uh, grabbing the control of the, the neutral really appeal to you? Uh, I, I, would, um, I think McLean has looked really effective coming off the bench. Uh, I think some of it will come down to um, what priority uh, O'Neill puts on with in the, uh, in the uh, uh, quite a few of the most recent games. He played with a diamond and uh, relied on the full backs for with. Um, in, in, in this case, we have uh, Larson and, and Forsberg on, on, on the flanks. And, and I'm not quite too sure how uh, what how much of a priority um uh, O'Neill will put on 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 containing them. Uh, I think in, in in the latter games we may see uh, that the team play with a wider midfield. Here we could, I'm not sure, but we could see we could see the diamond employed. In which case, uh, McLean's chances of starting uh, will be lessened. I think some of it comes down to whether Walters is really really completely fit. I mean, we have had uh, uh, both O'Neill and uh, Roy Keane say over the past couple of days that he's available for selection, but he has been laid up a long time without training fully. And it, it wouldn't be an enormous surprise if uh, he doesn't start the game um, after all of that. I, I think if they, if they feel he can genuinely get through the 90 minutes, he, he will start. But that's not necessarily the case. Um, so, uh, look, um, McLean for me would be would be a surprise. I think uh, they have other options. Uh, it, it's absolutely possible that he'll play. But I think what's going to be interesting, for instance, is going to be whether they, they start Ward, who started, you know, really nearly all the big games in qualifying when he was fit, uh, which would allow uh, Brady to go forward um uh, or 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 keep Brady at, at left back uh, if Brady plays at left back then McLean's chances are obviously improved Emmett your prediction please oh uh well uh, look uh, I I hope I hope I hope um I'll go for Ireland 2-1 two 2-1 one. Two one sounds good Emmett enjoy the game thank you thank you see if you don't get out with mother will get away me your bags in your desk boom your bags in your desk boom I mean it I'm fucking raging speaking from my heart who would I want in? I've got big Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beep, I take no beep, I take no, I take no, I take no beep. Just so it's off, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me. I can't yell me, I can't yell me. I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. Listen to fans. Just need to fucking work, wouldn't it? You are nothing. You are a fool. And you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grip! He's your biggest fool in Manchester. All right, Ken, you seem to have pretty pretty definitive views on what you think the team will be. Everyone says it's hard to second-guess Martin O'Neill, but if, if you were to second-guess him, what would your 11 be right now? Um, I would say that it would be Randolph in goal, although, again... You never know. That's, that, that, that's a decision that could go one of three ways. Um, I mean, I, you could. There's an, there's an argument that Westwood is the man who most deserves to play, um, but Randolph has been the kind of man in possession. Then again, man in possession hasn't meant a great deal to Martin O'Neill. Uh, that's an interesting honest, word you be... use there uh, deserves to play I mean he might be the best keeper but you know the other factors come into it I, uh, the line that everyone says about Darren Randolph he hasn't let us down yet uh, mm. I mean it is it is kind of it may, he might deserve to play but Westwood might be the best keeper in our squad yeah no, he, he might be I mean should you pick a goalkeeper just because he's the best goalkeeper <laughs> I mean, what, are, what, are, what are the other I know, what are the other I know. reasons strange, uh, yeah. I mean given obviously it's the most expensive goal, it's, it's uh, experienced not expensive uh, the most experienced goalkeeper but you know he was experienced in 2012 he wasn't fully fit and, and it, it didn't work out well um, 
I, I think he'll probably go with Randolph just because Randolph has been in possession. But, you know, who knows? Owen? I don't know anything about this. Maybe it will be him, maybe not. Uh, James Coleman, I'm pretty confident about yes. right back. John O'Shea, I'm pretty confident will start. I think it will be Duffy. Just be just from the way that Keane was talking about him, I, he just was kind of, he, you know, people were saying, oh, he's done well. And he's like, yeah, well, he could be in the team kind of thing. He, he was sort of, it sounded to me like Roy Keane wants him in the team anyway. And I do think what Emmett, Emmett's point about him being a goal threat is really important because Emmett was, was mentioning that we have, we have done well scoring from set pieces, and that's true. But we haven't done well scoring with headers. We're hopeless at headers. If you, if you look at all the qualifying countries, I forget the precise number now, but we're one of the, out of the 24 countries that qualified, we're, we have one of the least, one of the lowest totals of headed goals. We're, we're not a very big team. You know, Shane Duffy is a big big man and it is handy to have one or two of those in the team um again he's going to be up against or ireland are up against Zlatan ibrahimovic i don't know i mean it's 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 hard to it's hard to be confident about any irish defender necessarily and that's sort of one-on-one against him but shane duffy at least isn't giving away anything in terms of size yeah. uh then it will be robbie brady uh who i think will play left back um i mean that's where he's been for most of the campaign uh, I still think he's a little bit better in midfield, but maybe we have more options in midfield than we do at left back. So I think Robbie Brady goes there. So what's your Dan midfield? Whelan, James McCarthy. Sorry, Henri, you trying to come in there? No, no, I was just asking you what it was. A, it was a superfluous question, Ken. Terrible broadcasting by me. Please continue with your midfield. Uh, Glenn Whelan, James McCarthy, um, and uh, John Walters and Shane Long. I think are all going to be in the team. Uh, and then what would make most sense to me having not seen Ireland's training and not really being sure of the form of the players, but making my judgment based on what I think are the players' quality and suitability to you know, play in the European Championships, would be Wes Houlihan and Jeff Hendrick. But I just don't know whether Hendrick is in the right type of form or whether he's done, whether he's sort of impressed the management. I mean, obviously Keane had a little bit of a cut at him. He wasn't alone in that. But sense that maybe he's not in the sort of form that he was I, I don't know i haven't seen him train hopefully he's been training well because i think he's i think he's potentially a really good player you know he provided so many of the key moments in our in our qualifying remember his his assist against germany his assist against uh, georgia you know that's four points four points that, that that you know that jeff hendrick won for us and i don't think they were the only ones incidentally i'm trying to remember i think he set one up against gibraltar that maybe isn't so crucial but you know, I think he's. I think he's good. I mean, the the alternative is, is to go with James McLean. You know what James McLean is going to give you, but I just wonder if putting him on, if playing him from the start of a European Championship finals match is too much of a risk yeah. in view of his high level of passion and average technique in the tackle. Average technique, high intensity tackling, can be a little bit of a card risk let's say if you start him from you know if, if you ask him to play 60 to 90 minutes maybe that risk is maybe the probability is getting a little bit too close to one if you know what i mean whereas if you ask him to come off the bench he he certainly is capable of bringing energy affecting the game off the bench i mean he has done that on a number of occasions for ireland uh usually he affects the game by hurting and frightening opposing players. I mean, we saw Milik, Arkadiusz Milik, who scored the goal against Northern Ireland yesterday, didn't play for several weeks after James McLean tackled him when he came on as a substitute against Poland in that, in that qualifier. A popular moment with the crowd. I just, I'd just be a little bit worried. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe this is unfair. You know, maybe McLean presumably is, is smart enough to realise that you've got to be a little bit more careful in these finals matches. But, you know... Uh, that, that's the team that I would go for anyway, Owen. And it's, it, it was kind of a diamond formation that O'Neill was using, mm. where Walters was sort of, you know, drifting a lot to the right as well. Uh, you know, trying to not not really playing as an absolute up top striker. Shane Long was doing that, um, but it gave us a little bit of solidity. I thought in in midfield we weren't easy to play through, and with you know players like Brady in the team, we always have a chance of of creating a couple of chances. So. And obviously, and Hulin, so I mean, Hulin is, is our creative mastermind, and I just hope that he's in the right kind of form and is able to show Europe what he's capable of, because this is a player that's been overlooked, really, I suppose, for so long um, in his own country. And 
in everyone else's country. So I hope that he's able to go and make him and make his family proud and make the rest of us proud. Yeah, and the one thing about Hendrik that uh, that we saw in the qualifying as well is that he's linked really well with Brady and Houlihan. And maybe Hendrik is the kind of guy that plays better when he's surrounded by good players. And against Belarus, maybe he didn't have that quality of help in his area of the field. I mean, that would be my hope that that, that what we've seen from Brady, Houlihan and Hendrik has been really good at times. Like that, that triumvirate has been nearly the best football we've played on the ground. And I, I would go with Hendrik as well, just because he'll have those guys around him and hopefully uh, raising his standards. All right, predictions. Murph, I'm going to give you the first one. Uh, I like I liked the sound of 2-1 from Emmett, but the idea of us scoring two goals in one game, I don't know. I, I, uh, the Welsh could do it. The, the Welsh, Welsh do have Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey, sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm going to go with 1-0 Ireland. I'm going to go... Nil all Garuda. <laughs> Ken? Uh, nil all? That's yeah. so miserable, though. I don't want it to be nil. I mean, I want it to be 3-0, sure. Not since the days of Steve Staunton have you no, been able to be No, yeah, there's going to be goals. Yeah, exactly, yeah. No, there's got to be goals. I'll say one all. One all. I'm going to go for 3-1 Sweden, no? Oh, uh, I think we're going to go. I think we're going to see a, a rip-roaring, entertaining end-to-end game <laughs> with uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic doing the business in his hometown. That's uh, that's what I'll go for. I'm going to say that, Owen. I'm going to say that because I I remember. I still remember the first game of Euro 2012, and on that occasion, I had spent all my time in the Ireland team bubble, and I was my eyes had glazed over with the with the unquestioning belief of the fanatic. I knew that, despite everything. I feared about the Ireland team, despite everything that had happened in that warm-up game in Hungary and and the general mood of you know, <laughs> general mood of doubt and fear that that clung heavy to the camp. I knew that once they went out there in the European Championships, they would sweep Croatia away. They would get that. They would get that victory, and I predicted that. And I was wrong. Owen. I was wrong, and I'm not going to make the same mistake. A different mistake, maybe, but not the same mistake. Our next football podcast, Euros podcast, is out tomorrow morning. We're going to have Richie Sadler in studio, Ketten with all the reaction from the stadium, and we'll be here to offer our reflections on what hopefully doesn't turn out to be a 3-1 victory for Sweden. I'll be rubbing the sleep from my eyes after an amazing day. That's the one, Murph. Thank you. On. Uh, yes, on. thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Ken. Enjoy the game. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Kieran. I hope you enjoy the game, too. I hope everybody listening enjoys it. I hope there's something to enjoy and plenty to talk about tomorrow morning. Let's enjoy it. Enjoy it. Enjoy enjoy it, Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 